brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios, sponsored by Mazda. Hello and welcome to Future Energy Talks with me, Andrew Wilson. When it comes to combating climate change, for many, the concepts of climate finance and voluntary carbon markets are critical to reaching net zero. Others, however, claim they're simply distractions or even worse, enablers of greenwashing. Can these competing perspectives ever be reconciled? Stay with us as we do our best to find out. Voluntary carbon markets, or VCMs, have been around for decades, but they've really taken off in the last 10 years as a way of helping companies and countries achieve stated climate targets. There's been significant growth in both the volume of carbon credits and interest from developers, investors, and those looking to achieve their corporate climate commitments. In 2021, delegates at Glasgow's COP26 agreed on a rulebook for Article 6 to better govern how carbon credits can be used and traded. Since then, they seem to have made headlines for all the wrong reasons, as independent investigations have found offset claims to have been overstated or sometimes even duplicated. So how significant are carbon credits and the markets on which they're traded? What part, if any, should they play in driving down emissions? And how can we ensure they're not abused? Big questions, and to help us navigate what is clearly a complicated space, I'm joined by Dr. Pratima Rangarajan, the CEO of Climate Investment, a fund that has injected more than a billion dollars in solutions to decarbonize sectors like oil and gas industry and commercial transport. Pratima, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Good to see you. First of all, can you give us like an overview of the, uh, of the voluntary carbon market? How does it work and where do carbon credits fit in? Andrew, thank you for inviting me. And it's a great topic. And it's an important topic. And we can't get distracted by headlines on it. And we've got to get under the covers. So carbon credits or carbon markets are just a way to get capital into solutions that don't have another way to be profitable or to be economically viable. And this is important stuff because this could include things like how do you save the Amazon forest or in fact, in the future, we hope, how do we mitigate the effects of carbon sequestration in the oceans, which are degrading very fast? Today, we don't have policies, we don't have methodologies, really, to protect these assets that we have. In other areas, there are countries that are less developed or less economically um, you know, well-off, where we need, to, we need to bring down emissions from across their sectors. And again, we don't have an excellent way of bringing capital to those regions. So carbon markets allow one to do that. And essentially what it is, is that someone who is creating emissions can actually buy credits or off, what they call offsets from a project which actually does quote good. It removes or prevents carbon emissions. So it's really a way for an emitter to buy some credits, but it's also a way for capital to be put into projects that are good for the environment. And it seems to me that this is a market approach that sidesteps any kind of national or international government policy, and, and that's why we need them. Well, 
I I don't know that it's it's the sidestepping that's the most important thing. If but we absolutely need them, and the reason is is pure math. Today, if you look at government policies that cover climate um, ambitions, they address less than five gigatons of the 59 gigatons we emit in a year, we humans. So that's a very small number, and that comes from policies. Then you look at the actual, what we call compliance markets. So that is carbon markets that are run and regulated by governments, and that covers about 10 gigatons. So if you take those 15, you've still got a lot left. So how do we address those problems that are not covered by either the compliance markets or current government policies? And that's where the voluntary carbon markets are coming in. They're the you know, world of industry getting together and saying, how do we put them, you know, how do we address the issues in an economic fashion? So I think they're just another tool in our toolkit. So once those issues are addressed and there's a kind of uniform, a cooperative spirit amongst the business sector, what's the best way to deploy these instruments? I think that's a really good question. And that's where we are at today, right? Because this is brand new stuff. It's the biggest problem. I think you started uh, this session by talking about the headlines and, you know, and not, not in a good way. But the biggest problem with voluntary carbon markets today is that they're new. I mean, you think about it. We've had accounting standards since, since, what, the 1980s, 50 years. We're still working on accounting standards to make them right. We still have years where they don't, they kind of aren't exactly what we need, right? And they also started the same way. If you go, go back to the 1980s, accounting standards also started as country-level standards. And then they morphed into internationally regulated standards and took us years to get them right. In the same way, voluntary carbon markets are just their babies right now. And what we need is good methodologies, and there are organizations that are developing the methodologies so that project developers can then adhere to those. And then we need good regulatory bodies that will then say, then give the right kind of structures, kind of regulations to say, this is how you should be monitored. And we'll get to regulations at the end. Today, it's all best practices. And that is how almost all regulations around the world have been created. We start with experiential best practices, they get codified, and then you have a regulatory bodies that govern them. And we're seeing some of these come up in involuntary carbon markets today. Your background personally is in wind energy. Was this a logical step for you to where you are now with climate investment? Oh, absolutely. I was... Um, you know, I, I've actually moved a few sectors. I've got a, a broad background. I started in the chemicals industry. I actually did clean coal for a while and then wind energy and finally energy storage. So um, what I was able to do is bring my experiences actually from wind and, and energy storage into decarbonization of a much broader area of sectors. And that's why when we work in climate investment, we are trying to decarbonize energy, not just oil and gas. We're trying to decarbonize the industrial sectors, chemicals, steel, cement, uh, transportation, heavy transportation, as well as buildings. Between these sectors, they account for about 80% of global emissions. So very, very important. But yeah, all those, those experiences are invaluable because an invest, most investors invest in technologies as a capital investor. 
But what we know, what we learned in wind is that you not only need the technology, but you need to understand the business models and how you can connect with big companies to help them to deploy the technologies. That's when we see the final impact. And that's how we do, that's how our business model is structured. And those are the sectors that nobody talks about. The rock stars are renewables, we all know that. But in those sectors that you work in, where the real heavy lifting, as you say, has to be done, are there any developments that you're excited about? Oh, so much. You know, I mean, we started with voluntary carbon markets. That's a means of getting capital. But actually what's happening under the surface is enormous amounts of innovation, both in technologies and business models in all of these markets. And what we need to do is scale and disperse them around the world. And I'll give you examples. I mean, we have shipping, which is supposed, which is quite hard to, to decarbonize. We have a fabulous rotor cell that can take, you know, 10 or 15, 20% efficiency in a shipping route. So we drive efficiencies. Um, we have a, a great portfolio that measures methane around the world and stops the methane emissions. We need, we'd love to have, see voluntary carbon markets that create projects in Africa, across Asia, so we can get rid of these methane emissions because the technology is all capable. Efficiency is, uh, you know, is, is also an excellent route for us to do avoidance measures. And of course, in the end, we will have to do both carbon recycling and reuse, which is removal technologies as well. We talked a little bit and we mentioned in the introduction the, the business of reputation, I suppose media coverage of carbon markets and concerns that there's an element of greenwashing in there or abuse. And you say it's more about something novel that is still in the process of being developed. Are you happy with how that development is taking place? Are you happy that there is ultimately the destination is a secure market that will be effective? There is nobody who works in climate who is happy right now. That's true. I think I'd start there. We would love for things to move a lot faster. And I think, um, I think there is a lot of very well-intentioned and sincere and knowledgeable, experienced people who are working on these problems. What I would say is that all of these articles need to take a nuanced look. And it's great to grab headlines, but instead we should all be working together to make them possible and to make them rigorous and solid so that we can get there. We have these in all accounting standards, ESG, we're still debating ESG, and that's been around for a much longer time. When we came into this business, when I came into this business six years ago, um, and I was, and I was, we were one of the first two billion dollar climate investment funds. And what we realized is there was no real standard or methodology for estimating how how much carbon we would reduce from our investments. There wasn't a methodology. So we created one and now we co-lead um, a, a community of venture capitalists and private equity who actually all adhere to this, to, the, to a meth common methodology. And we are still not at a standard. We can't get our impact report audited because there's no standards. So all of this is new in climate technology and we just have to dig in and everyone uh, has to work together. It's a common question in all this kind of innovation in the 21st century. How's the relationship going with the voluntary carbon markets in terms of private sector and government working together? <laughs> 
I think you could even take out the word voluntary carbon markets because this whole thing is, you know, private sector and governments working together. And I think we do have to work together. There is no other choice. I see all the debates around the cops. If private sector runs, you know, the engine of our growth, it runs the engine of us getting products and services every day. So if they're not engaged and the government sets our forward vision as a society, if the two aren't engaged, nothing will go forward. So in the, it is the same in voluntary carbon markets that the more engagement and the more good dialogue, we can actually set the standards in the right way that they are applicable. We do not want markets that are hard to navigate and set ambiguous standards, and we don't want it to be easy to greenwash, right? So we need it to be rigorous. Let's take a few national examples. What sort of projects are you involved in in the UK, for example? <laughs> well, I think our favourite UK project was uh, is probably Net Zero Teesside, which is now uh, one of the one of it's in the East Coast cluster that the UK government has selected to to do carbon capture utilization uh, around uh, one of the biggest uh, industrial uh, areas, Teesside in the UK, we were the project developer for it. We were the originator of that project. And so we're very, very proud of it. How are things with the US government in terms of this sector? I think the US government, I mean, the, as you know, new policies have been excellent. The IRA um, is really um, heating things up from a project basis. The US DOE is providing a lot of loan guarantees, a lot of grants for climate-related uh, projects. And we have a portfolio of 35 companies, and they're all engaged uh, both with both governments across the board. Um, and, um, and in the US, uh, we are seeing a lot of interest, just a lot of interest, because the policies are in place, and they're probably the most advanced in the world. The kind of work that you do with climate investment, we've already talked about how the general public always look to solar and alternative energy sources. Those are the things that people understand generally in, in normal everyday conversation. When do you think the general public are going to start seeing some results they can tangibly understand from the voluntary carbon sector market? When you look at wind and solar, and I worked on the wind side of this, it took us 30 years to get from three kilowatts to three megawatts of wind turbines. And it probably was those 30 years before people really started recognizing what wind could do for them. Or maybe it was 50 years, right? So it takes decades in these large industries, but I think the more we can get investments that touch people, right? The more we can decarbonize school buses, right? The more we can, um, we can bring the Amazon or the oceans closer to people and really talk about the results and the outcomes, I think people start recognizing what it means for them. I, I do think we have a lack of dialogue and lack of good conversations with, with uh, people who are not directly engaged in climate because they don't see, right? You don't see um, the amount of waste. And food is an ac excellent example, right? Food is an excellent example. Half of the food we create, we waste. And that waste creates methane. So you've, you've created a lot of carbon dioxide in making the food, then the waste creates methane. So the carbon footprint of food is quite high. 
agricultural sector overall is is responsible for over 20 percent of carbon emissions. You said earlier on that no one's particularly happy who works in climate. We all understand that. There's so much work to be done and it's a big hill to climb. But every day when you come to work, do you bring a little spark of optimism with you as well? Absolutely. Look, the kids today, and I'll talk about the young people, whether they're little kids or they are big kids like my six-foot boys, is they are so tuned to the climate challenge. They are so tuned to their environment. They do not have this growth at all costs mentality of their parents. And I think the more we can get the youth uh, experienced, trained, and to make decisions, we need to move these countries forward with young leadership because it is their world and they are ready for it. We haven't been able to solve the problem, but the innovation we're seeing, Andrew, is fantastic. Fantastic, right? We have innovations. When I first got here, they said, we'll we don't know how to measure methane. We can measure methane across satellites all the way to continuous monitoring. We can do it. We know how to solve the problem. We have companies that have almost no methane emissions. So it's a standard. In six years, we've come a long way. And then if, when you go to efficiency, we see um, just fabulous innovations. I mean, we have a steel... We can make, we think we'll, in the next five to 10 years, we're going, we can electrify the steel making process. And steel is responsible for a lot of emissions. Same in cement and concrete, we're seeing enormous movements and lots of innovations. As I, I talked about shipping earlier and uh, buildings, buildings can be decarbonized. I think we can address all of these sectors. We just need to move faster to get adoption. And that's where voluntary carbon markets is really important. Dr. Pratima Rangarajan, a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you. Well, extraordinary conversation and so much for us to think about. Join us for another dive into clean energy and the solutions waiting for us out there. I'm Andrew Wilson. Subscribe now for more Future Energy Talks. Brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios. Sponsored by Mazda.